I hope that you feel that way. Uh, in, a, in a sense, we should come to worship God and, and feel a sense of obligation, but at the same time, it should be an honor and a privilege, and it's a wonderful blessing to be able to be together. We're thankful for the good weather that we can enjoy the last few days and hopefully even days coming up that remind us of the beautiful and wonderful Creator that we serve and the creation that He's blessed us with. We're thankful for those great blessings, and we're certainly thankful for the opportunity to come together and worship Him. In Matthew chapter 7 and the Sermon on the Mount, there are so many things that encourage us along the way in Jesus' words through, through that great sermon. Beginning in verse number 21, he says, though, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Most of the world would have us believe that's kind of harsh. That doesn't sound like something that's encouraging. But Jesus would have us understand, even today, that there is great seriousness, that we strive to do exactly what he has told us to do, what the Father has said to do. There are going to be many people on that day who will say, I, I, I tried my best, I, I thought I was doing what's right, you know, I did what I thought was right. I did what I felt like I should do. And oftentimes we emphasize that it seems that Jesus is making the point that he wants us to be busy doing the work of the Lord, but not just doing what we think is right or what we feel is right, but doing exactly what the will of the Father is, what the words, through the words that he has given us, what it is exactly that we should be doing. And so about a year ago, I think it was almost exactly a year through the month of October, we took a look at a series of lessons, and we entitled them Why We Believe or, or Why We Don't Believe, because when it comes down to our lives and everything that we do, it would be important, through the words of Jesus that we just read together, that we understand what we're doing, that it's not just because Joel feels it's the best, it's not just because Charles or Bob or, or anyone feels that that's the best, or this is what I really think that we should be doing but that we're careful that in all things that we do, that we're doing what the will of the Father is. And so about a year ago, we looked at several different things. We kind of touched on what we might call some salvation things, about baptism being for salvation, for the remission of sins. We talked about why we believe that hell is real and eternal. And what I'd like for us to do for at least the next two or three weeks, maybe even the month, is look at some things in, pertaining to our worship. On Wednesday night, we left off with a lesson that we've been studying, and we didn't have time to get to the acts of worship that we go through. I asked Charles to teach on that, but then I went back to him and I said, Charles, you know, why don't you move on to the next lesson, because I would like for us to consider some of those things on Sunday morning together for the next few weeks. Why? We ask that question a lot. Why did you do that? Why do you practice that? And so we want to study together why it is that we do and practice and believe certain things. And we want to begin this particular series or study this morning by considering the Lord's Supper. And if you have your bulletin, you've noticed there, the title is, Why We Believe in the Partaking of the Lord's Supper Each First Day of the Week. As Don talked about a few minutes ago and led us in some good thoughts, we realize that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as a memorial of his death. When we think about uh, the words of the Bible, we think about the life of Jesus, and not only that, but as we're going to see in this lesson as we go forward into the other books of the New Testament, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as a memorial of his death. 
When we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, the Apostle Paul, think about this in context, because this is kind of interesting. The Apostle Paul, writing to those in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is writing by inspiration. We know that. But think about what he's saying as well. Paul would not have been in that upper room. He wasn't there on that night. So how can he say these things unless, of course, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write them? But through inspiration, he's able to write. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Paul was not there on that night in the upper room, but by inspiration he's able to recall these things. It may be hard to see. I don't know if you can tell from your angle, but the words are supposed to be in red on the screen, and they're probably in red in your Bible because Paul is quoting Jesus, but he wasn't there. But verse 26 in particular gives us something to consider because he says, for as often as. Paul would say by guidance, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup. So we get the idea that when we think about the context of what Paul is saying here, that there is some type of regularity, as often as. So if there is some type of regularity, then the question for us to consider would be, well, how often? If this is something that we are being told to do, and as often as, and there must be some kind of regularity or frequency, even as, I don't know if it was what Don said or, or Charles in his prayer, but even as we've been given guidance, the things that we need to know what to do, even in particular when it comes to our worship. So as often as, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let's consider together. First of all, let's begin by looking at men's practices. You know, that's something that benefits us from time to time. Not always necessarily in regards to what we should be doing, but sometimes maybe in regards to what we shouldn't be doing. You see, when we think about the Lord's Supper, the partaking of the Lord's Supper, it might help us to think about men's practices. Some men, and by men, of course, that large uh, group grouping together, we might say other denominations, we might say people, but, but some groups practice taking the Lord's Supper once a month. Maybe you've even been somewhere or participated in a worship service that did it once a month. And trying to do some research, I found at least one area denomination that I think does it every other month, as best I could tell. But you'll find some places, they'll put out their calendar, their church calendar for the month, and they'll have the one Sunday of the month, they're going to partake of the communion or the Lord's Supper. Or once again, maybe it's every other month. For some people, it's once a year. Again, they have a specific day. If you go visit their website, they'll call it out for you. And you'll realize that it's just once a year that they partake of communion or the Lord's Supper. In fact, it's an interesting uh, note that actually today, the first Sunday in October yearly, is what's considered World Communion Day. So that's kind of an interesting thought. Again, you can go to the internet and, and Google it and find out all kinds of information. But today is actually World Communion Day. And so folks all around the world are going to be partake of the communion of the Lord's Supper. But more than likely for many of them, this is the once a year 
that they're going to do it. Many other places, if you look up and you try to find their creed or their, their manual or their book or their website, some will say, well, different places do it at different times. So when it comes to men's practices, it's kind of hard to understand exactly what the regularity should be. And as we oftentimes talk about, and even as we read about just a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 7, it doesn't really matter what men's practices are. If we're seeking to do the will of the Father, then we, of course, need to understand exactly what the Bible has to say about things. So let's go forward into that. What does the Bible have to say about it? About four points here. The lesson will be yours. Number one, we would notice from Scripture, from the text, and we're going to look at a few verses together, that when we think about and read about the phrase, the breaking of bread... And we're going to talk about it for a minute, but there's some, there's some Greek involved here, and I'm not a Greek expert, but, but some places you might read the breaking of bread. Some places you might read breaking the bread. But we're going to have to look at these verses, and we won't have time to look at all of them this morning, this morning, but we're going to look at the context, understand exactly what's being said. But very often when you see the breaking of bread or breaking the bread, it's in reference to the Lord's Supper. In fact, in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, we see, and upon thee, notice, first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until Midnight. Now, this, of course, is a famous verse, especially for preachers as we think about getting to preach unto midnight. But let's focus on the first part. And we think about the first day of the week and the breaking of bread. Now, some folks would have you and, and tell you, and again, I wasn't going to break down the Greek text for us this morning, that oftentimes when you look at some of these verses, you'll see the word the, 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 T-H-E, that's in that that phrase, or in the Bible, in the original language, when there's something specific. We're not just talking about any kind of food, we're talking about the bread. In fact, when you think and you go through the list of verses that are used to reference the Lord's Supper, all of them are talking about the breaking of bread, or breaking the bread, including Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7 that we just read, which is a worship assembly. That's the reference we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. But it's not just a common meal. We do understand that they partook of common meals together. I mean, they had food. But when you think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we read about breaking the bread, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. Now, if you have your Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 2 for just a minute. Because in Acts chapter 2, specifically, we see two references here. And I put on the screen here, we see a reference to a common meal. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42 is on the left side of your screen. As we think about the Lord's Supper, Luke would write by inspiration here, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now we understand this in context along with the reference to breaking the bread as well to worship. We think about what else is in that verse, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, prayers, and in the breaking of bread. Go down to verse number 46, though, and you see this phrase used again. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness 
and simplicity of heart. It's interesting, you see the word daily there. Some folks would go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 to try to have this argument. Some folks would go here specifically to try to discuss when we should partake of the Lord's Supper. But you'll notice a couple things. One, the idea of daily is referencing in the temple. Now, I mean, I think I've confessed it before, but I'm not the best at English and even diagramming sentences and that kind of thing. But you see the word daily in reference to in the temple. That's when they're in the temple, it's daily. Not only that, but the breaking bread from house to house goes along with them eating their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The word for food there is the idea of of food. It's not used anywhere to reference the Lord's Supper. And we see that this is a common meal. They were basically taking their food from house to house and enjoying their food together. They were spending time in, in that kind of fellowship. But they weren't doing that daily in the sense of the Lord's Supper, the partaking of the Lord's Supper. You have to think about the context of things. You have to do your best to to look around just a verse. If we're not careful, we will allow people to take one verse and pull it out and, and say that it means something else. If we're not careful, we'll do the exact same thing. We have to think about the context, what's going on around this. And this could be something that we could spend lots of more time on this morning. But for our purpose this morning, we need to understand that the breaking of the bread is in reference to the Lord's Supper, not to just any kind of common meal. And this is one place here in Acts chapter 2 that we think about that. Let's go on. Secondly, the first day of the week is a bit of a significant thing if you think about it. When we think about why we partake of the Lord's Supper each first day of the week, we would notice from Scripture that, again, the first day of the week has significance. Well, first of all, it is a day of importance, right? It's a day of importance. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. There's really no question of that. There's no argument, no reason to sit down and really dissect that. But Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. Also, Jesus appeared to his disciples on the first day of the week. It is a day of importance. We go past the resurrection of Jesus to Acts chapter 2 where we just were, and there we see the first gospel sermon preached. Acts chapter 2, first day of the week, we see the church being established. Acts chapter 2, we just read verse 46 a moment ago, but we look at verse number 47, and we would notice that the first day of the week is a day of importance. A lot of important things happened on that day, the first day of the week. But not only that, we might also notice that it's a day of worship. It's a day of worship. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, we read that. But if you've got your Bible, look back at Leviticus chapter 23 for just a moment. Leviticus chapter 23. The first day of the week is the day of worship. The reason that we know that Acts 2.42, the day of Pentecost, was the day, a day of worship, the first day of the week, Because notice from Leviticus chapter 23 and verses 15 and 16, it says, the Bible says, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Now, I don't know if I've ever told you this before either, but I wasn't very good at math either, okay? I don't know very much about English or math, but but if you take seven and you multiply it times seven, And then you add one, well, what do you get? You notice verse 16, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering 
to the Lord. We're talking about the day of Pentecost, and when we think about the day of Pentecost, seven times seven plus one be 50 days. 50 days. And when we start doing the math there at the end of the gospel accounts, we go forward to the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, first day of the week, would have been a day of worship. Also, we think about Acts chapter 20, where we just were a few moments ago, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16. When we think about what's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to get there in a little more detail here in just a brief second, but we think about the fact that the first day of the week was a day of importance, and it was a day of worship, because of what not only there the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, but what Paul's going to encourage folks with, and Luke is going to encourage them by writing in Acts chapter 20, and Paul there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The first day of the week is significant. It's supposed to be significant to us. We, we talk about it a lot, and, and we try to emphasize the struggle that we go through with realizing and understanding that coming together on the first day of the week is an important thing. It's not just the checking of the box, but it's an important thing to come together and worship and to make it significant. So many people treat it as just the end of their weekend and a day to be able to relax or to go fishing again or hunting or golfing or whatever it may be, just be at home. But it is an important day. It is a day of worship. Number three. We would see as well, when we think about, not only is the first day of the week important, but when we think about the fact of trying to understand why we partake of the Lord's Supper each first day of the week, that when we think of first day being mentioned in the Scripture, in the Bible, that it's going to mean every first day. First day means every first day. Well, what are we talking about? Let's, let's go a little further. Let's use some logic. Let's do some thinking for a few moments and try to understand exactly what we're talking about when it comes to this. Well, first day means every first day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 2, I told you we get there in just a moment. The Greek is there underneath that banner on the slide, but again, I won't try to, uh, to, to read that or go through each portion of that. But the Bible says, on the first day of every week. Now, I don't know the version you have in front of you. I ask you that sometimes or try to get specific and tell you that I usually use the new King James. But if you've got a New American Standard or an English Standard Version or a Revised Standard Version or a New Living Version, then you will probably see this phrase listed or reading this particular way on the first day of every week. Young's literal trans translation actually says, on every first day of the week. And the contemporary English version would say, each Sunday. Well, does that mean your King James Bible or even New King James Bible is messed up? Well, not exactly. We don't have time to have the, the translation discussion this morning, but we understand that, that there are different translations that we might use. But you would see even from Vincent's word study that's mentioned there on the screen that the word kata has a distributive force that would mean and try to emphasize every first day. Maybe our King James would be better translated to say that on every first day or on the first day of every week. It helps us to consider exactly what that is talking about and exactly what that is meaning. But let's, let's set that aside for just a minute. And let me ask you to consider, let's make some practical application, all right? We understand that. We can, we can go from there, but, but let's make some practical application. What about this? 
Well, I can't get it all to work there. One second. All right. If I told you that the Lions Club of Saudi Daisy was meeting on Monday, well, some of you might say, well, I think that was last Monday, so I've already missed it. And some of you might say, well, I think that's next Monday, so I think I'm going to go. But if I told you the Lions Club meets on Monday, would you understand that that's possibly every Monday without any kind of qualifier? Maybe the second one is a little more important, right, to all of us. What if I said you will be paid on Friday? Would you understand that to mean just last Friday or just this coming Friday? Or if I hire you to come work for me and I say you will be paid on Friday, that coming Friday when I hand you your check, I believe the next Friday you'd show up with your hand out expecting your check again, would you not? Or maybe some of you understand certainly the concept. If I hire you and I tell you that I'll pay you double time on Saturday, you think I mean just this Saturday or every Saturday that you would work when you're really expected to work Monday through Friday because Saturday is double time. You see, sometimes we understand that. We may not have to give the exact example. In fact, one of the things that I didn't do, I didn't know if we'd have enough time, but, but there's a chart that you can look at, and, and we could look at it, and I could share it with you. But there's a chart. When you go through the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, every time that there is a feast or something that needs to be done that's mentioned, if it's meant to be done monthly, it's said. If it's meant to be done yearly, it's said. If it's meant to be done on a weekly basis, basis, that is mentioned. So that we understand that kind of force or that kind of idea. But even in our lives, you see, some folks would try to argue this, but if you would mention to them, hey, you get paid on Friday. Well, I would assume that's a weekly occurrence and something that we need to consider. So when we think about through the Scripture what first day means... First day is going to mean every first day. In fact, let's, let's take a look at one more example here. When we think about, fourthly, the idea of every first day, there is a parallel to the Sabbath as well. I mentioned to you there's a chart, and I didn't put it in the slides for today. But as well, there is a parallel to the Sabbath when we think about that. In fact, when you read in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8, we go there, we read the words of, of Moses as he's uh, giving God's instructions. What Moses would say in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do you think that just meant the next one that was coming up and that was it? Or do you think that the people understood Moses to mean by God's instruction that that was going to be every time the Sabbath occurs? Every time the Sabbath occurs, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's... Probably what we would kind of figure would be understood. What about Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7? We looked at it just a moment ago. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Well, when that is said there, on the first day of the week, do you think there maybe is a parallel here that Paul is meaning when he's speaking to those, or that Paul is doing here, we're going to come back to it, but Luke is writing and saying that every time the first day occurs, they're going to be meeting together to break bread bread to partake of the Lord's Supper. And it's interesting to consider these days come around every week. The Sabbath came around every week. And Moses, by inspiration of God, the words given to him says, remember the Sabbath day. Luke writing of Paul's example by inspiration on the first day of the week as they came together to break bread. Folks, comes around every week. We've already given a few other examples but even here, let's just take just a moment. You know, real life, again, is not the only thing for us. Real life is not the only thing that matters. 
But sometimes we can look around us and see real life. In fact, in church history, there is some examples for us. Now, in case you're not familiar, just very quickly, we sometimes use the phrase or the words church history to refer to men who recorded history. You know, since I've been here at Saudi, I could have kept a, a daily journal. I could have sat down and write down every day what took place with the church that meets at Saudi, and maybe 50, 100, 300, even 500 years from now, if the earth was still standing, someone could look back and see what the church at Saudi was doing. That doesn't mean it's 100% true in the sense that, that we're just mere men and I'd be a mere man recording history, but that happens. And so sometimes we look back at church history, and this is early men who were writing things that were taking place in the first century. They were recording history of what was taking place. And so when we think about church history, there's something in particular called the Didache. I know you've been trying to figure out how to pronounce that word for a few moments there, but it's called the Didache, at least that's how I've heard it. Uh, and the Didache was an early church history document. Notice, not inspired not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but someone is sitting down and writing down the things that the early church was doing. And so we can look at that and say, you know what? That's not inspiration. That's not God telling us what to do by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we can see some things that the early church was doing. And in the Didache that was written around the year A.D. 120, the statement is made that Christians came together each Lord's day of the Lord to break bread and give thanks. You see, someone is sitting down and writing that this is what Christians are doing. It doesn't make it inspired, but it's a pretty interesting example when you think about real life. Maybe you've also heard, I'll give you a bonus one real quick, of Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr was another person who wrote in the early uh, first century there. Uh, Justin Martyr wrote around 152 A.D. And he also speaks of Christians meeting on Sunday and partaking of the communion. It's not inspired, but if we can look back and say maybe those that were even the closest to the apostles and what they were doing were doing these things, and we read what we read about in Scripture, then maybe we should consider that this is exactly the way that we should be partaking of the Lord's Supper. One more here from actually inspired history, and I'm going to ask you as you're filling out your blanks there, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 20. The evidence gets even stronger from a real-life example. Now, this is, this is inspired, so maybe we might not call it real life, but we do see someone doing something here. In Acts chapter 20, we continue to think about Paul. Paul's in the concluding days of his third missionary journey. He's been traveling around and preaching the gospel and doing many great things. He's concluding this third missionary journey, and he has departed from Philippi. Now, he's in a hurry. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Well, how do you know that? Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse number 16. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem. In fact, so much so that what you read about the rest of Acts chapter 20 is Paul calls the Ephesian elders and says, come meet me on my trip so that I don't have to come to you. I don't have time. What he's trying to do, and it says there in verse number 16, he's hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so we see he's hurriedly, hurriedly making his way toward Jerusalem, where he hoped to arrive by Pentecost. And in fact, he had, it's, it's about a month away, okay? It's going to be about a month away, but he still has several hundred miles 
And we can put all this together because we think about him calling the Ephesian elders, saying, come meet me, I don't have time, I'm in a hurry, and I've still got a journey to go. But notice what he does, beginning in verse number 6. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. And wait a minute, I thought he was in a hurry. He was in a hurry. He's trying to get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. He's got 100 miles to go, several hundred miles to go. But look at verse number 7. We've already read it. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse number 7, is quite famous not only for the preacher getting to preach at midnight, but most of you know it more famously for our, our friend Eutychus over in verse number 9 who falls out because of Paul's long preaching. At least that's what everybody tells the preacher. But Eutychus falls out of the window, right? But what takes place here, and especially as we think about the Lord's Supper, in verse number 7, if you've got a King James Version, I believe, it uses the word and. And on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. In spite of the fact that he still had several days, several hundred miles of travel ahead of, the, of him, he decides to stop in Troas. Well, what would stop him? What would delay this urgent mission to get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost? Well, the most reasonable answer, as we think about what the text says here, is the apostle wanted to meet with the whole church in Troas. Well, Paul, how would you know what day of the week they would be meeting together? How could you decide how long you might need to stay in Troas so that you could meet with the whole church? He knows they're meeting together on the first day of the week. The testimony of the writings of those who lived shortly after or who are writing about this time are going to reference this, as we said just a moment ago. And notice even Luke here in his writing is using this conjunction that they're going to be meeting together. Certain texts have this emphasis, if you think about the King James Version, that simply states that the disciples came together. Most others have that they were gathered together. And the expression kind of brings this idea of being called together. What would call them together on the first day of the week if it were not for divine authority? Sunday worship was not an arbitrary decision of the first century church. And the primary design of the meeting was to break the bread. In the grammar of the Greek Testament, this reflects an infinitive purpose. In other words, the prime purpose of the Lord's Day meeting was to observe the Lord's Supper. I give you guys a hard time. I act like you come to hear me, and that's the most important thing of our worship service. We joke about it, but it's absolutely not. The prime purpose of meeting together on the first day of the week for the first century church, the prime purpose for meeting together on the first day of the week in the 21st century church and going on as long as the earth stands is to partake of the Lord's Supper each first day of the week. We read it in Scripture. We can even see it in church history. And we can see it in real life example. As Paul is going to say here, I need to stay. I want to meet with the people. I want to partake with them of the Lord's Supper. And when can I do that? Paul, Paul's in a hurry. If he's in a hurry and they're doing it daily, why doesn't he just do it the next day and then leave? Except for the fact that that's not what they're doing. They're not doing it daily. They're doing it each first day of the week. And he knows if I stay this long, even if it delays what I'm trying to do, that I know where they're going to be meeting. I know what day and I know that I can join them in the prime purpose of partaking of the Lord's Supper. We oftentimes get caught up in many other things in worship. 
We sometimes get up that it's all get get all caught up that it's all about the sermon that the sermon's got to be the best. I don't know how many of you go to lunch and then you say, well, you know, that Lord's Supper time, that, that time of communion was the best, or how many people just either fuss and complain or gripe or, or enjoy the sermon. That's usually what we talk about. We might even talk about the singing sometimes. That singing sure was good, or, or singing wasn't great today. Whatever it is, that's sometimes what we focus on. But the partaking of the Lord's Supper should be something that we should give our full attention to, that we should do each first day of the week. Did you... Have you ever considered that before? Have you ever thought about those things from Scripture? Probably some of you have. But it doesn't hurt for us to remind ourselves from time to time. If someone were to ask you, you know, we take the Lord's Supper. We took the Lord's Supper on Sunday because it was World Communion Day. Would you have any idea of what to say to somebody? Would you have any way or idea of how to open up the Bible and begin to show them from Scripture what the Bible actually says we should be doing? Why do we believe and practice certain things? Well, because we want to be doing the will of the Father, including when it comes to the partaking of the Lord's Supper. If you'll do me a favor and be putting your books up or your notes and be pulling out your psalm books if you want to use them. As we conclude this lesson as a matter of convenience, we're going to ask you to consider your life. We're going to sing a song in just a moment about the day of judgment, about considering what's going to happen when the Lord comes, and to really ask you, specifically each person, to think about what state you're in and what state you would be in if the Lord were to return this day or your life to be re- to, were to be required of you. You see, it's important that we study things like why we partake of the Lord's Supper each first day of the week. But it's also important that as we're gathered here, and we've been singing and encouraging one another and studying God's Word, that we encourage you to think about your life. Do you need to become a Christian? Possibility exists that there's someone here this morning that may need to do that. We'll be singing to encourage you that you would partake in God's simple plan of salvation. Baptism is what puts us in Christ. It's the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. But there are other things that one must do, including repenting of sin, confessing Jesus as Lord. It's a wonderful, wonderful moment. It's the most important moment in your life if you would do that this day. And for some of you, it was the most important moment of your life. But as time does to us, sometimes we sort of fall away. We, we fall away from God. And that most important day becomes a year ago. And then it becomes six years ago, maybe 10, 15, 50 years ago, and we kind of forget about that commitment we made. We'll be singing to encourage you as well. If you're here this morning and you've wandered away, you stand in need of God's second law of pardon. We're thankful, so thankful, that it's not just a one shot. That every time we mess up, we're not, we're not uh, eliminated or punished in some great way. We're allowed, as long as we have breath in our lungs and life, that we can come back to Him, repent of our sins and confess them and he is faithful to forgive us. Maybe you stand in one of those categories this morning or maybe you just need the prayers of this congregation to encourage you. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.